So when I was a student, whenever I had a paper to write, I would make my way to the library. And I thought that was a brilliant idea because the library was a, a peaceful place. You could always get an outlet. You know, good, good odds you'd be able to get a chair at best or maybe even like a whole desk and a table to, uh, to work from. And every time I went, I'd go and I'd get a, a massive stack of books, whatever my topic was going to be. And I'd go and get my little spot there in the library and set up my computer and all my books and get all ready to go. And almost without fail, I had my books all lined up and my papers all there, my computer here. I think, okay, smell the old books in the room and just absorb that quiet. I look at that blank screen in front of me and think, well, maybe before I start, I just have a little, a little rest, a little nap to help kind of, you know, do, do my best work, put my head down there in the desk, and sure enough, I'd just be in a full-out sleep. And I'd wake up a couple hours later, totally panicked about my paper, run to the library and try and check in out, you know, 25 books. They give me this look like, really? I'm going to read 25 books in one week? I'm like, well, you never know. It could happen. And I'd, without fail, have this horrible time of trying to figure out how to go to the library to embrace this whole project of, of learning. Because learning takes a lot of effort. And it's not always the most natural thing to do in, in the world. And this summer, we've been trying to figure out how do we do the things that are most important in Christian faith. We've been trying to look at this great commandment from Jesus of what it means to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That really all the commands of Scripture boil down to this and to love your neighbor uh, as yourself. So each week, we've been trying to look at one of those five dimensions of love to try and figure out, all right, how does that work in our lives of, of faith? How do we try and lean into this multifaceted picture of love? That's the most essential bit of, of Christian faith. So last uh, couple of weeks, we looked at what it means to love God with our, our hearts and with our souls. And today we're looking at what it means to love our God with our, our minds. So the scripture text we've been looking at is from Mark chapter 12. And here's this, this preeminent passage of kind of distilling all the law and the prophets right here. It says this. One of the teachers of religious law asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord to God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is equal important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. People give Jesus a hard time sometimes. They're like, wait, he asked for one commandment. You gave him two. But the idea that, you know, Jesus is still good at math, don't worry. But these things are, are all interconnected and intertwined. So these five dimensions aren't disparate, separate little parts, but it's kind of a, a composite whole. And part of our, our aim this summer is to see, all right, if we're loving God with our, our whole being, heart, soul, mind, strength, neighbor, as self, how do we try and put all those different pieces together? So today, what does it mean to love God with all of our, our minds. Now, your mind generally has to do with your, your, your intellect or your understanding. It's kind of like your, your reasoning process or how you perceive stuff in the world. And it's probably fair to say that if someone says to you here, hey, I really love you with my mind, 
That wouldn't feel great. <laughs> it's not the, the most kind of warm feeling to have someone say, hey, I love you intellectually. It's like, oh, good. Glad, glad to hear that. If you hear about love with heart and soul and strength, that kind of intuitively connects. It feels warm. It feels compelling. If you say, I love you with my intellect, it feels a bit calculating or a bit distant. But I think loving with mind is actually a critical part of what it means to love. And probably would do all of us good to figure out how can we love intellectually in this whole effort of loving God and loving, loving neighbor. So for this morning, I thought we'd have a simple kind of setup here of problem solution. What's the, the problem where this has to be named? You have to love God with all your mind. And what's the solution then to try and actually make that happen um, in the world? So first up, the the problem. Uh, is it possible to love without your mind? Like, isn't it inevitable that you have to use your mind to love somebody? Um, probably in some way, yeah, for sure. You have to have a sense that you're a self and there is an other and you have, you know, a, a desire or connection to that other. But I think there's a real big pitfall that Jesus here is touching on, on when he says, love God with all your mind. And the pitfall is simply this, the problem of mindlessness, of being mindless. Now, when I say that word, I don't mean just the desire to, like, you know, to, to check out a bit and kind of zone out. My, my mother-in-law lives in South Africa. We went to visit her this last summer. It's an epic trip, but it was amazing. Um, and she loves knitting. She's like a a world-class knitter. And one of her favorite things to do at night is to put on the BBC News and then to, to knit. And she actually has like then, you know, tons of stimulation from the news, from the needles, the knitting. But she finds it to be mindless work and to be kind of a refreshing, restorative thing uh, for her. I say that probably for most of us in this room, we engage in some kind of mindless habit probably every day, whether it's kind of scrolling through TikTok or Facebook if you're over 30, um, but some sort of social media platform as a way of just kind of, you know, kind of zoning out and just seeing kind of what things are, are happening in the world. But when I talk about mindlessness, I don't mean just kind of zoning out. I think it's actually a bigger problem. I think we've forgotten how to develop our minds. And that sounds a little bit deep. That we've, we've drifted away from learning how to think deeply about our own lives. One psychologist said this, the crisis of our current age is the loss of our interior lives, that we no longer know how to pay attention to the deep parts of us. I think it's, it's, it's easier today than maybe ever before to put our efforts focused on technology, on image, on achievement, you know, which are, are good things, but to find our, our minds or our, our mental health really suffering, to have a, a lack of depth to us. A lot of our, our learning is achievement-oriented. So we learn to get a degree, or you learn uh, to get a job, you learn to try and cope with a problem. That's all, that's all well and good. But for a lot of us, as life gets busy and we're fractured about, things are, are pretty hectic, we kind of assume a default setting to kind of coast through life. Kind of a, a mindless posture, which is kind of a scary place to be. 
It's easy in today's world, with things being so busy, to have a pretty shallow existence. Like a spider, kind of, who dances on the top of the water. Just kind of hopping from event to event, from crisis to crisis, and not quite thinking deeply about ourselves or about our world. So let me give you an example of how I think that plays out in my own life. Like my mother-in-law, I, I love the news. I love watching the news. I love reading the news. It makes me feel like I'm informed. I got my finger, you know, on the pulse. But for most of the time, when I read the news, it leaves a sense of, of angst in me or anxiety about things that usually are pretty far away from my personal experience. And it usually kind of distracts me from things that actually are right in front of me, where I probably have something I could or should be involved in doing. And I'm not trying to say that the news is a, is a bad thing. But for me, the 24-hour news cycle has not been a good diet for my mind. You know, to have that auto-refresh, auto-refresh, and always have a, a new story to try and fill your mind and to kind of distract you. When I, when I read the news, I'm often not reading with a lot of mental effort to try and go deep into something. It's kind of a, a shallow discourse of kind of, all right, what's the headlines? And we, we keep moving. And so I, I think that the danger here is that living mindlessly is just kind of not thinking very deeply about why we're doing stuff. We just kind of do it on autopilot without a lot of careful, careful thinking. Now, I think that's true for faith as well, that it's pretty easy to kind of put faith in a bit of a, an autopilot setting, kind of go through some of the motions, get like that spider in the water, go from thing to thing, but to fail to really think deeply about who we are, about who God is, about who the world is, and to really feel some of the, the challenge and the weight of those really big questions. In a lot of ways today, we're more advanced than human society has ever been. And yet it could be that our interior lives are more vapid and more passive than they've also ever been. You ever woken up one morning and thought, man, how in the world did I, did I get here? How did things get this complicated? How is my life so confusing? How did I get so entrenched in this feeling? I had an old coach um, in junior high basketball, and he loved to say during our drills, practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Only perfect practice makes perfect. So be like, oh, okay, we'll try and do it perfectly. But I think, I think his, his point is kind of right. Whatever, whatever you do, whatever you kind of put in front of you, you kind of learn those patterns, and they get reinforced and perpetuated. So if we're living, you know, a bit of a, in a shallow posture, kind of from thing to thing, it's easiest to kind of keep that going and to keep that, that routine as part of us. I'm a, I'm a big fan of a show on Netflix called Stranger Things, which, anybody seen Stranger Things? I'm not the only one who's watched it. All right, there you go. Peter's with me, that's good. Uh, it's, it's an amazing show, of course, and... Uh, it's not a mindless escape. I think it's just the opposite. It involves a lot of mind to think about it. But if you've seen the show, the main villain is the Mind Flayer. And the Mind Flayer is this gigantic spider-like entity that preys upon kind of unresolved trauma. And it's a pretty scary uh, image. Uh, but the show hits home that for every human being, there's a legitimate battle going on for the mind. 
to figure out what influences kind of shape your intellect. Kind of what are the things that are going to control your, your brain habits. And no one goes about kind of in a neutral mode when it comes to what they think about and how their intellect is developed. We've all got all kinds of formative inputs happening all the time. I think that's part of the reason why when the psalmist writes, uh, he says, hey, you've got to be really careful with the stuff you put in front of you. You put a wrong attachment in front of you, an idol, you'll begin to resemble it. He writes this, those who make them idols will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. The idea that whatever you put in front of you, you'll start to resemble it. That those patterns that you kind of are looking at will get inside of you and this stuff becomes you. So all I have to say, I think that this problem of mindlessness is real. The temptation to have a bit of a, a, a shallow existence, to move from thing to thing, crisis to crisis, and not think deeply about our own lives, about our world, or about, about God himself. So what do we do? What's the, what's the solution? How do we try and love God with all of our minds? It gets a big question. Now, if, if you're feeling like I'm kind of going all over the place, I'd love to say like you have like a, a mindlessness problem, but actually it's probably just me being super scattered. But stay with me because there's good news that's coming here with this uh, solution. Back when I was at UBC, the, the slogan for the campus was UBC, a place of mind which is pretty interesting. I think if you go on their websites, they can still try to find some of those old little slogans, but they've kind of moved away from that uh, now. But I think mind, again, is about that whole idea of, of intellect, about perception. And so to, to love God with all of our minds involves a whole bunch of learning and a whole bunch of curiosity. So to, to break out of mindlessness, I think our, our best tools are just those things, to, to learn and to be curious. As followers of Christ, to be a, a disciple is to be a, a learner, someone who's curious about Jesus, who wants to try and pay attention and to figure out, hey, wait, if Jesus is the embodiment of God's love, just how is that the case? How does that actually play out in life? There's a famous quote by a, a U.S. Supreme Court justice who said, a mind stretched by a new idea never returns to its original shape. And I think for followers of Christ, our whole life is about this lifelong engagement of having our minds stretched and reshaped by Jesus to go deeper and deeper and deeper still. I've been married for about 12 years now, and uh, that's a pretty good amount of time, I think, you know, to try and get to know somebody and have a sense of, of who your partner is. I can predict my wife's responses in most like social situations, I can kind of guess what story she's about to tell, you know, as we're kind of, you know, having a bit of a, a bit of a chat. But in a very true, I think in a very beautiful way, she's still a mystery to me. Uh, I'm still curious about her, about her motivations and how she works and what her thought and emotional process is like. And honestly, I'm still curious about myself too about my own motivations and my own drives and desires and how those things get shaped and shifted over time. I think the minute you think you've got something figured out, that you box something and say, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know how this works, that's the minute you stop learning about a thing. 
And if you're no longer learning, it's hard to imagine how love can keep being fueled. Somehow, learning and love and curiosity, they all go together as part of this amazing package. For my wife and I, loving each other with our, our minds, with our intellects, has actually been the, the key to try and get through some of these moments of intense emotional crisis. So when you have like one of those fights where you just feel like you're emotionally disconnected, you've got no positive sentiment for the other person, you can stop and say, wait, I can think in this moment about how to act in love. I can think and use my brain, my intellect. What would I do as my best self in this situation? They don't feel like doing it. They don't necessarily want to do it. But what would my best self say or respond with in this moment? I think that's, that's really important. We figure out how to engage our, our minds and our brains in love and that intellectual work. I've got good friends who've seen a marriage uh, therapist for a bunch of years. And the therapist gave them an assignment to say, I want you to go on a date uh, every week. And before you go on the date, to have some, some homework. To, to think about five questions that you're going to have for your partner, for your spouse. Questions that aren't about life logistics, they aren't about household management, that will keep you kind of curious or engaged in, in your partner. I think that's, that's a brilliant idea for any relationship, to think about, hey, what are some good questions to take into your, your, your colleague, your, your friend, towards a, a parent? Good questions that could help you know, build curiosity and form a bond. It's a great way to to have a relationship. And how much more so would that be the case when it comes to our connection with God? That we stay spiritually curious as, as learners to try and figure out, God, I, I want to know you deeply. But how, how can we do that? So let's say we're all convinced. Everyone in the room is like, yeah, we're on board. We want to, to grow and develop spiritually uh, with a newfound curiosity. How do we actually love more deeply with our minds? Well, I think there's probably a couple options, but the one that feels best to me is to get back into the library. <laughs> and hopefully not like me from my old study days to try and go and have a nap, but to get into a place of learning. And we refer to God's library as, as the Bible, his, his library of books, that tells the grand story. Bible is from the Greek word biblos, just means book. And the Bible is just that. It's a collection of books. It's, it's a library that tells the story of God. So I think as people who can really battle with mindlessness and a shallow temptation, part of the antidote is meditation to try and chew on God's word. Now, meditation is often, you know, referred to as being mindful or mindfulness. To have a mind that's very focused and directed, that's paying attention. This has been a solution for a lot of mental health crisis moments in our world today. An encouragement to be mindful and to meditate, to try and move away from that spider-like surface feeling and to go deep, to be quiet and to pay attention to real feelings and to real problems. So how do we go about engaging in, in God's library? Well, I think it just means we try and we, we find a point of scripture and we try and maybe take a, a book and go deep into it. Even try and become a, 
a bit of an expert in that topic. It's pretty easy to kind of, you know, skip along from, you know, bit to bit, passage to passage, kind of flip open a page and see a verse and go to the next page. But that could be a good challenge to say, all right, here's a book that I want to try and take seriously and do a deep dive in to understand some of the implications and the nuances of this really old text and how it might be relevant for us today. And I think here's the big reason of why. When we, when we get into Scripture, it's a way of getting Christ into us. We read in Scripture that we have the mind of Christ, which is a, a pretty radical idea. How, how would that be the case? How do you have the mind of Christ? Well, I think part of it's by knowing the story of Christ, by sharing in the spirit of Christ. We cultivate this thinking process that Christ himself had. All, all the resources that Jesus had to fuel his mind are available to us. The gift of scripture, the gift of prayer, the gift of the spirit. And part of our job by coming together is to say, hey, this, this task of going to God's library, you know, it can be a sleepy task. It can drift off and we, we lose heart. But we do it together. The, the Bible is a community book. It's a community library, and we, we try and wrestle with it and try and interpret it, try and understand it uh, together. The very last thing that, that Christ prays before uh, going to the cross is says, sanctify them, people who believe in Christ, by the truth. Your word is truth. That somehow by an ongoing engagement in Scripture, our development process, our spiritual depth takes, takes shape. It's as we read the scriptures that we are read by the scriptures and figure out that texture of who we are, who the world is, and what God, what God is like. Now, I think this is pretty hard work to do. Like, uh, if you're motivated to try and get into the Bible and think, all right, you know, starting from today, I'm going to read a passage with a friend, I'm moving forward. It's just, it's a difficult momentum to maintain. But a depth of mind, I think, is one of the best things about love. To have an intellect that's robust and thoroughgoing and well-informed. My brother-in-law is an artist in uh, South Africa. And he paints these uh, cityscapes at night that's usually kind of reflected um, light patterns just after it rains. He's, he's a really gifted artist. And he's um, shown his work in galleries all over the world. And so we were just there recently in South Africa, and I asked him, do you ever find your work to become tedious? You just kind of feel like you, you give up on it. It's just too hard to maintain that course. He said, yeah, at times it can be hard, but really the best art that he's developed comes when he feels truly curious, when he's not trying to manufacture them, but he's got a real question or a real kind of sense of how does that work or what is that about and he says that you can sense it in his art when he's been really motivated by curiosity the picture feels more alive it shines and it resonates his contention was that actually this is true for most great art if you have a great chef or a great architect uh, a great parent that often it's this sense of curiosity of Exploring what if or what about when it shines through the thing that makes it glow, makes it feel pretty, pretty wonderful. I think artists are some of the most 
careful thinkers around us because they think about small things and big things. They're trying to think very deeply about how do we communicate about this stuff that's, that's real. For our brother-in-law, it's curiosity that motivates his work, that helps it really shine with life. I think the same goes for, for our faith. If we can find authentic curiosity, it could spark a depth in us that would help us love in a true and vibrant way. Now, sometimes if you have a song that you, you overplay, maybe you love it at first, but you just keep playing it again and again, it gets a little bit old, and you kind of feel like you're done with it. There's a temptation sometimes with Scripture that you can think, you know, I think I've, I've heard this track before. I've been there. I've done it. Uh, I'm kind of over it. But here's the thing. I think Scripture is never meant to be kind of a, a one-dimensional bit. We read the Bible not just to try and study an old book, but we read the Bible to figure out who are we? And who is God and what is happening in the world? And so our Bible reading ought to carry out into how we use social media, how we watch Netflix, how we form a friendship, how we pray, how we try and work through our own mental health. Our engagement with the depth of Scripture is meant to bring us out into the world and not just stay as some sort of isolated, you know, archaic exercise. So it's a good thing to read a Scripture and then be curious why does this matter? How could this impact my life? How could this make me a deeper, more intellectually robust person? I think for most of us, when, when crisis comes, it's going to be loving with our minds that will help us find a way forward. When your emotional tank is depleted, you've got no more internal motivation. It'll be the weight of your intellect to think through, what do I know to be real and true in the world that will give you handholds to find a way to keep going? I'm a big fan of, of Hilary McBride, who's a local therapist and speaker, and her work led me to a quote this last week that says, what if the ultimate question of life, of a life well-lived, is not how I would make my mark, but instead, who will I be marked by? And I think, you know, to cultivate a deep life relies on that question. How do we have a life that is truly marked by the love of God? Where that becomes that core identifying piece. That as life crumbles away, we're not sure what we're doing, things don't make sense, we say, all right, what's, what's the basic building block in my life? To love our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. To try and use that as our foundation point. Philippians 4.8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Have it in your mind. It'll help make you a, a deeper, a more wide person who's informed to God's goodness and, and beauty. So I thought maybe I could end today with a, a guided prayer for us. And we could just try and, and ask God, as, as things feel a little bit out of control? Or is that temptation to be mindless, to go on autopilot like that spider to kind of hop on surface things? How do we become a deep people who ask really fundamental questions? What does it mean to be a human in Christ? What does it mean to have faith with friends who don't share that faith? What does it mean to try and figure out what God is saying to my friend who's in a whole world of pain? To ask these 
really hard questions with a robust intellect and a robust mind. So let me pray for us and let's invite God uh, to help us love with all of our, all of our minds. So as we, as we pray, just think for a moment, what's, what's the latest thing that you've learned about God? Can you think of it? Something that you felt curious about or that sparked you is, oh, that's, that's a new discovery. Maybe it's been a while, and that's all right. Maybe another question can get you in the same place of, what's the latest thing that you've learned about yourself? Something you've been curious about, or a new discovery about who you are. Or how about the world? Something around you, or what you're studying. What have you learned? What have you discovered that's been interesting? And whatever piece of learning that you've come across, whatever curiosity has kind of connected in you, can you, can you thank God for that? And say, God, would you give me more of that? Jesus, we'd ask you in this space that you would teach us how to think. Help us to, to learn love to see our, our love for you as something that involves an intellectual exercise. Use this big muscle of our brains and how we be, would be attached to you. And move us from this temptation of mindlessness and disengagement to meditation, to a place of curiosity and of learning. And would all of us be students, students of your world, of our own lives and of you, God, that we might have the very mind of Christ as we seek your renewal. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.